Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Isaiah 54, verse 13, and I'm reading from the NIV, the New International Version. All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So, get to talk to you about being mothers. And I guess I should say parents, because it's not just moms that have these challenges that I'm going to describe this morning. Dr. Kathy Carpenter is an accomplished physician with a heart for God. That's the easy part of her life. She also is a mother. Her second child, Matt, was difficult from day one. They called him their birth control baby. After Matt was born, Kathy and her husband Gordon decided that they would never need another child. Whereas they both took pride in their quiet and accommodating firstborn Bethany, Matt forced them early into survival parenting mode. Many people volunteered to watch their perfect little girl, but no amount of money could convince anyone to babysit Matthew more than once. Matt was kicked out of his preschool at age three. Kathy and Gordon had been greatly respected as professionals and leaders in their church. But with the arrival of Matthew, their status in the community changed. Everyone seemed to assume that a difficult child automatically indicated substandard parenting. Everyone was quick to offer free parenting advice, and when that and that didn't seem to work, they would discreetly give cards with the names of child psychologists and family therapists. Despite their graduate educations and relative success with their compliant firstborn, Matthew was considered collateral evidence that they didn't have a clue about what they were doing. Matt's energy soon became a safety issue. By the time he was two, he learned how to get out of car seats. They bought five different kinds, some with multiple restraint systems specially designed to keep troublesome toddlers safely strapped in. But Matt always figured out how to get out of them in far less time than it took to open the boxes. Matt's creativity knew no bounds, and for some reason, he became determined to smuggle crayons into kindergarten, despite the fact that the teacher always brought out a box with each child's name on it whenever crayons were needed. Kathy repeatedly had to take his home box of crayons out of Matt's backpack and individual crayons from his pockets. He knew it was against the rules, but it became a battle of the wills. He would have crayons. One day, Kathy noticed a bulge in his sock as she tied his shoes. 
Suspicious, she asked, are you hiding crayons in your socks? Matt defiantly stood up to move away from inspection. And crayons poured down his pant legs and out of his shirt. So Kathy did a full body search and discovered that Matt had stashed crayons everywhere, even in his underwear. See, she eventually found them all and counted them, 116. Now that's determination. Everyone in town knew who Matt was, and Gordon and Kathy never had the pleasure of staying anonymous. His reputation preceded him from classroom to classroom. They were Matt's parents and had the distinguished privilege of being on the speed dial of every teacher and principal's phone system. One middle school teacher confessed to them, the best part of my whole day is 2.30 when I can send your child home. Yet even in the midst of being misunderstood, Kathy praised God and saw much good in having a challenging child. She said, while many people may judge us by our children's actions, God judges us by our response to our children's actions. I needed to stop being mortified and start being modified. At times, I actually pity parents with easy children. How will they ever learn to walk humbly and love mercy? Well, that's a pretty good story. Gary Thomas, in his excellent books, Sacred Marriage and Sacred Parenting, proposes a thesis. What if marriage and parenting is not so much about making us happy as it is about making us holy? Hmm. Our children are not the only ones whose characters are being developed. We each must learn not only how to love cooperative, pleasant people, but we each must learn to love difficult, oppositional, selfish to the core people. So God gave us kids. When we encounter these severe interpersonal challenges anywhere else, we quit. We look for another job or we file for divorce. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, there is nowhere for a mother or father to go to resign. We're in this for life, for the long haul. And if you have a difficult marriage, you just blame yourself for making a poor choice. But who gave you your children? God chose, hand chose, every kid he put in our homes. Out of millions of genetic possibilities, God hand-created the kids he would give us because he, in his great foresight, knew exactly what we were going to need to learn. They are not our project. They're God's project. But we also are God's project. And he uses our children to work on us. So take a look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 with me. 
It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And if anything demands perseverance, parenting does. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But it doesn't stop there. There's one more verse. James 1.5 explains how this maturity comes about. We bump into life situations we cannot control. They're called kids. And we're forced to our knees to ask God for supernatural help. So we ask for wisdom, and he gives it. And I love this. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. So when I don't know how to respond, like two weeks ago, Katie calls me up and says, I just found a stray pit bull, and I want to bring her home because maybe she can come live with you. And I'm on my knees saying, oh, God, help me know how to deal with my precious 24-year-old, but still just say no. Just say no. So when we ask God for parenting wisdom, he gives it. Is that good news? It's absolutely wonderful good news. And he never scolds us saying, you've been a parent for such a long time, and you've been a Christian for such a long time. You should already know what to do. Shame on you. No, God says, yeah, talk to me about it. I'll help you get this right. I know your kid like you cannot ever know your kid. Ask me, and I'll give you a clue what the next step needs to be. And as we go to God and get wisdom and apply that wisdom, we grow. We grow in dependence on God. We grow in relationship with our difficult child. And we also grow in humility because we learn that even if we do the very best we can, sometimes it doesn't fix it, at least quickly. And we realize that without God's intervention, the story's not going to end up well. That's when we just hit the floor on our knees and say, okay, God, you've got to take this because I don't know what to do. Well, there's such good news in God's word. It says that God will be faithful to complete the work he began in you. He also will be faithful to complete the work he began in each of our children. Whoa, that's lovely. And he uses our children to complete the work. Chances are he'll use your kids to complete his work in you. And for the rest of our lives, these crucial, key, important relationships will put us back on our knees where he can teach us how to love even when we don't get love back. And to trust him, even when there's 116 evidences that this kid is going to grow up to be an axe murderer. The problem is, God designed our children 
but then he gave them to us. There is heredity, and we can blame God on that. And then there's environment. And we are responsible for the home that we provided for our children. And most of us mess up probably within the first day or two in this process. And then we spend the rest of our lives feeling guilty every time our kids make a poor choice. No matter how careful we've been, the environment that we gave our children was not optimal. We are not God, and we didn't get it perfect. And every time our kids make poor choices, it's really easy to feel inadequate and to blame ourselves. Well, I have young adult children. They have an uncanny way of finding out whatever I forgot to do and reminding me. Reminding me of the times that I wasn't quite adequate. And I have to confess the greatest fear of my entire life is that they will not be in heaven and that it will be my fault. And I've had a heart-to-heart conversation with literally thousands of women in my career, and most moms have exactly the same fear. We worry that somehow God will not save our kids, that they will make some choices that are irreparable, irredeemable, and that the seed of that came out of the home that we provided. Well... Worrying about your children's spiritual future and well-being is universal. So I'm just going to put it out there and say, on Mother's Day, this is something that crosses many of our minds. So I want you to consider the quote that is on the Today's Service page. I put it there in writing so you can take it home, You can put it up inside a cupboard door, or you can do whatever you need to do with it. This is Gary Thomas, and he's very wise. This is what he says. God not only created you, he created your kids, your children. And he chose to place those children in your home. To doubt any of this amounts to nothing less than questioning the sovereignty of God. Do you think that God doesn't care for your children? Do you imagine your son or your daughter to be a mere afterthought who somehow escaped God's attention? Not a chance. God designed your children, and he placed them in your care. You are the right person for the job because God himself assigned you the task. And he is committed to seeing you through. You're not in this alone. God knew exactly who you were the day that you got pregnant, moms, or the day your wife told you she was pregnant, dads. He knew every bad habit, every negative personality trait, and he gave you children anyway. That's grace. It's unbelievable, but it's also this unbelievable, incredible responsibility. And when I consider my incompetency for this task and how much I didn't know, I'm not sure I still know very much about parenting 
And God knew that. And I think God gives us our kids to provide a reality check about our character. He knew that your awareness that this job was going to be bigger than you are would bring you to your knees and help you depend on him. We ask for help out of desperation. We pray because we're no longer in control. But God is in control. And I have to say, the older my kids get, the more I pray. Is that true? For anybody else? And the other thing that happens is as your kids get older, then they have kids. So now you have even more people to be worried about and to pray about. And some of you have lived long enough that you have not only grandchildren, but great-grandchildren. And you have spiritual concern for every single one of them. Well, there's an interesting verse about Enoch that's found in Genesis 5.21. It says, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. Enoch was 65 when he became the father of Methuselah. Being 65 years old did not guarantee that he would be spiritually mature. But having the kid did it. It reads as if there's a direct correlation between becoming a parent and growing spiritually. Well, Mother's Day used to be my favorite day of the year. My girls can both cook very well, and they'd make me breakfast. And then all three kids and Mark would be my coolies for the day in the garden. We would go to a nursery, and I'd get to pick out a tree or a shrub that I especially wanted. And then they would dig the hole, and I could just give orders tell them what to do. They would help me plant it, and then when we were all tired, at the end of the day, Mark would take us out for dinner. Oh, bliss. Mother's Day was my favorite day. But now we have an empty nest, and Mother's Day is like a report card for the last 28 years of my life. Will there be a card that comes in the mail today? I'm not counting on it. Will there be a phone call? Last Mother's Day, I had just had my breast surgeries, and I was craving attention, and I wanted my kids to decide that I was important in their life. And Amy, bless her little heart, came home to help me, and on Mother's Day, Amy called me. There's a reason you just need not more than two. Sometimes it's the third one that shows up. I was pretty bummed about the other two, So I did what I always do when depression comes knocking at my door. I pull out my journal and I begin to write. And as I wrote, I heard God say this back to me. Hey, Colette, I have lots of kids who never say thank you and that never acknowledge my special day. I still love them. And when it's Sabbath, how many times are you so busy working? that you don't just stop and worship and say, thank you for my life. Thank you for my gifts. Thank you for everything you have done for me, Lord. And then I heard him say, now you can participate a little bit in my suffering of how I feel when all of my kids turn away and forget who I am. Whoa, that was a little attitude adjustment. And then I heard him say, and don't forget 
to express gratitude when next Sabbath comes. Okay? This is God that says, call me. Call me. How many times in the Bible does he say, call me? And how well do we do at doing that? Even on Sabbath, the day he provided to remind us to call him. I had a dear friend in Maine who was the guest pianist every time Pine Tree Academy had a music clinic. She was a pastor's wife and had been our secretary until she moved away. And she was one of those kinds of house guests that you just had to love because she always came bearing gifts, hand-picked, not only for me but for each of the kids. And one year when she came... She brought me the book, Praying Like Crazy for Your Kids, by Tamira Horst. It's been several years ago, so I'm not even certain it's at the ABC anymore, but it was a really good book. And it begins with a paraphrase that's based on our call to worship this morning, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And it says, be anxious for nothing. And then in parentheses, Tamira added, Not even your kids. Now it's a little harder to keep that command, isn't it? Be anxious for nothing, not even your kids. And Jesus said basically the same thing. Let not your hearts be troubled. And we could put in parentheses, not even about your kids. Trust in God. Trust also in me. So don't worry about anything, not even about what to do next when the pit bull comes home. Or whatever it is when we need to make a mid-course correction. Don't worry. Just keep asking for strength and wisdom. You are not in this alone. And I love how the Living Bible reads for Philippians 4. It says, don't worry about anything Instead, pray about everything. It sounds so simplistic, but it really is the only way that we can stop worrying. In his classic novel, 100 Years of Solitude, Colombian author Gabriel Garcia Marquez tells of a village where the people are afflicted with a strange plague of forgetfulness, a kind of contagious amnesia more dangerous than the swine flu. This plague caused people to forget names. Well, maybe we have it here. And also to forget names of even the most common everyday objects. But one young man still was completely plugged in, His mind was still working. He was unaffected. So he tries to limit the damage by putting labels and instructions on everything. So on the table, he put a little placard that says, this is a table. This is a window. On a cow, he put, this is a cow, and it needs to be milked every morning. At the entrance of the town on the main road, he put up two large signs. One reads... The name of our village is Macondo. And in an even larger sign, he put, God exists. Don't forget it. 
God exists. Well, God not only exists, he loves. That's who he is. God is love. That's how he defines himself. And he loves not only all the little children of the world, he loves all the great big grown-up children of the world. He reigns, and no matter what malicious designs our enemy has against our families, God can intervene and he can protect. So we need to always write him into the equation, and prayer is how we do that. And once we have God's wisdom, love, and strength as part of the equation, our kids' problems shrink back down to their correct proportions. And this miracle happens in our hearts. Nothing has outwardly changed. The kid is still acting however they had been acting. But we can have a peace, a peace that no one can understand because we are transferring the responsibility to God, the perfect father, the one who understands what it feels like when kids make poor choices. And as a result, we get his perfect peace. Philippians 4 continues, Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. So before you count all those crushed crayons, thank God for the mercy that you know he has toward your rebellious child. Thank him for the incredible patience that he has toward all of us. Thank him for his unconditional, unfailing love. Oh, our kids need it. But so do we. When one of my children, who I will leave unnamed to protect the guilty, was a senior... This child went on an unwise, rebellious escapade that I would have never discovered. Except this child borrowed my computer to write a vivid, vivid memoir of the experience. And all three of my kids love to write, so that doesn't really tell you which one it is. But this child forgot to sign out and close the entry. So I came home from work, and I was checking my email, and there it was, in black and white, with every lurid detail included. Now, I always prayed that if my kids were messing up, someone would catch them. And God had a sense of humor, but it didn't feel very funny that day. Well, there were consequences, of course, and tears, and I think I cried more because it was pretty serious what this kid did. But finally, this child, as I'm having this heart-to-heart with them about their choices, ask, Mama, do you think I'm going to hell? And then I really cried. We hugged, and I said, Oh, my beloved child, you are definitely not going to hell. I've prayed way too many prayers, and Jesus has already claimed you as his own kid. You may wander, but we're not giving up on you, and you really don't have a choice. You're going to heaven with me, okay? You get that. So here's the crux of my message. Always, always, always apply God's grace to your own parenting mistakes and to the poor choices of your children, whether or not you count yourself responsible for them. And when you begin to worry about your kids, thank him for the wisdom that he always promises to give us if we will just ask. 
there's always another chance to make the call, to write the note, and to start again based on grace. And thank him that he can go where you cannot. God can go into their classrooms, their workplaces, their bedrooms when the door is shut, and even on their dates. They may shut you out, but as you engage in spiritual warfare on their behalf, because of your prayer, God can still get in. His voice is louder than their music. Praise God for that. He has access to their hearts and minds. He says in Jeremiah 32, 27, I am the God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? Ooh, all mankind, I guess that includes the three Peacock kids. They can never go to a place that he can't follow. And I thank God that he has faithful servants who are my partners in this mission. Sabbath school teachers, teachers, pathfinder leaders, adult friends. God has believers every place on earth. And I pray every day that God will put a true, humble, loving Christian beside each of my children. And I believe he can do that. And I pray for those teachers, co-workers, and friends. When we were in Costa Rica for Andrew's wedding, Jim, the father of the bride, sat down with me and told me something that brought tears to my eyes. When Hannah, Andrew's beautiful little bride, was a little girl, there was a contemporary song called Watercolor Ponies. Anybody heard Watercolor Ponies? There's this line in Watercolor Ponies. It's about a daddy praying for the future husband of his little girl. And the line states, I don't even know his name. But I'm praying for him just the same. And Jim says, I have prayed for Andrew for 24 years. Now I know his name. And then he said, I am so thankful that Hannah is marrying into a Christian family. Because we know now that you're praying too. That these kids may wander, but in their hard drive and in the background is faith and trust. And God still knows exactly where they are. He knows exactly. Well, Isaiah 54, 13 promises that all of our children will be taught of the Lord. Whoa, anybody need to claim that one? All our children will be taught of the Lord. Well, sometimes he uses us to teach them the things that are most important. There's nothing more sweet to a parent's ears than to hear their child say, I learned to work hard from you. I learned to be kind or honest or patient by watching you. Well, Andrew didn't send me a card for Mother's Day, but two months later he showed up for a visit. And he brought me the little card that he had bought by Mother's Day but never mailed. And this little card wasn't specifically a Mother's Day card. It was just a card, but it said this. There are three things in life that matter. The first is kindness. The second is kindness. The third is kindness. Kindness. 
and he wrote on the back, this is what I learned from you. Okay, so I'm so glad I didn't call him up and chew him out when I didn't get a card. (laughs) That I just had to be patient and know that at just the right time, the affirmation would come. So nobody call your kids up if you don't get what you want tomorrow, okay? That includes the dads. Mark's dad used to always call him and say, remember, it's your mother's birthday. Call her. (laughs) So there's this old saying. It says, God could not be everywhere, so he made mothers. Wrong. God can be everywhere, and mothers can't. That's why... We just need to depend on the Spirit. I want to be faithful. I want to do my part in this thing. I don't want to wimp out, but I really just have to trust him. God never asked me to worry. Above my kitchen sink for many, many years was a little card that said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. So I have come to realize that in the end, the salvation of my children is God's work, not my work. My anxiety will not help him do his job. If anything, it will get in the way. Because if I don't trust him, how will my kids learn to trust him? And so I just keep turning my worries into prayers. And as I pray, I have to believe that God is all he says he is and that he can and will save my kids. Instead of worry, I need to apply faith. And the end result will be praise, that he's so merciful and so patient. Well, I know I've told this story before, but it's a piece of my heritage that I will always want to remember. My grandmother died of liver cancer in February 1989. She had spent her life praying for my father, her middle child, who left the church nearly 50 years earlier at age age 17 and showed up only to church on special events. He also had been diagnosed with liver cancer, and so she died knowing that he was going to die soon, too. Nine months after my grandma died, my dad arrived at our home and asked me to baptize him. A few weeks before he died, we'd been having all those lovely conversations about the assurance of salvation. He had a smirk on his jaundiced, emaciated face, and my mom asked him what he was thinking about. This is what he said. I can't wait to see my mom's face on resurrection morning. Won't you be surprised? You see, God had a plan for my dad that outlived his mother. She didn't see the answer to her prayers in her lifetime. But listen, my dear friends, all those prayers that you and I have prayed They do not lose their potency just because we die. They continue to be held at the throne of God, to be applied at just the right time and just the right place. 
Grandma never knew her prayers were answered, but she will. So what plan does God have for your children? When you see bulges that look like crayons stuck in pockets where they shouldn't be, and when you see them tumbling out and their lives are messy, remember that God sees past that mess and that he can make masterpieces with crushed crayons. Well, the last half of the book of Isaiah is my favorite part of the Bible. And it's where I go when I get discouraged. It is an amazing antidepressant. And I started paging through the last half of Isaiah and just collecting verses that would encourage me about my kids. And I just wanted to share them with you um, in a responsive reading form so that you can participate in reading these. Michael's going to come. He's going to read the people part and I will read the leader part. And this is just really lovely. And please read along with him. No longer will Jacob be ashamed. No longer will their faces grow pale. When they see among them their children the work of my hands. They will keep my name holy. They will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding. Those who complain will accept instruction. The fruit of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you, and your children I will save. All your sons will be taught of the Lord. And great will be your children's peace. This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth. Or from the mouths of your children, or from the mouths of their descendants, from this time on and forever. Wow. So if you have a child who says, Mama, do you think I'm going to hell? Just remember those verses and say, No, I think God has a completely better plan than that. So I would like you to find someone to pray with and just speak to the Lord about a child that you love. might not be your own. It might be a neighbor or someone from church or a niece or a nephew. But let's pray for our kids, remembering these promises that we have just read. And when we're finished, we will sing. So um, just take a little time to pray. I've talked about praying. Now let's do it. Lord. Pour out water on our thirsty land and streams on dry ground. 
Pour out your spirit on a generation who have wandered from you. Give us wisdom and strength to make mid-course corrections if necessary. Pour out your spirit on our offspring and your blessing on our descendants. May the words you have put in our mouths this day never depart from us or from the mouths of our children. We trust you to do just what you say and make everything beautiful in your time. Amen.